0: If you love what you hear, check out our authors Andrea Stewart and N.A. Fulton on Amazon.com, and be sure to subscribe to our Dark Romance Novels and Stories podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast provider. Learn more about us at audioiron.com. The Demon King, by Andrea Stewart. Find more great stories at audioiron.com. Chapter 5 Mary dreamed that night for the first time in ages. As she slept she imagined that the ivory box, tucked like a trophy for the tooth fairy under her pillow, wriggled open by itself. The card slipped out of the box and out from under her pillow and began to flutter around the room. Reminding Mary of children at play, they jumped on the furniture and twirled on the curtain cords. A queen of cups seemed fascinated by her image in the mirror. A king carrying a tiny sword sat on the bureau and watched her. Far away, a knight hammered a bottle of perfume with a stick, his passion for battle with the inanimate object all-consuming. More disturbing were the deities of the major arcana. They started out as small as the other cards, but inexorably they grew in size. They began gathering other cards to them, each coming to hold their own court. 1. The Devil knew she was watching them. His card fluttered to rest beside her on the bed. Gradually the deities and their acolytes came to dominate the room, hurling sticks, swords, coins and cups around the room like weapons until they became a blizzard. When she was certain she couldn't stand the billowing giants another moment, the devil peeled himself out of his picture. With a wave he banished the rest of the cards. She watched everyone fade to silver dust in the light of a waning moon. He turned to look at her. His eyes were yellow, His skin bronze, sweeping wings tipped with claws flexed from time to time. His body was broad, well-muscled, and long-limbed. He was so very clearly a fallen angel. Was this the creature she had imagined as a child? No wonder the nuns were horrified at her images of him. He seemed so different from the comforting presence she could recall. That creature had been lonely, had spoken to her, and sung to her. He had seemed so strong and caring. She had never perceived him as being overtly masculine, any more than a child might see an older brother as a man. When the nuns had ordered her to send him away, she had wept for many weeks. She knew the sisters loved her, and they were all she had. But she was all the angel had. What on earth would he do without her? He had still come to visit her after she banished him, walking beside her though she would not look at him, talking to her even when she put her hands over her ears. The nuns, noting her behavior, had begun to call her disturbed. They had discussed sending her away. After that, he had become silent. He had faded into the shadows of her life. She would find him listening in the corner of a classroom, or see him sitting outside her window late at night. Over time he had simply stopped being there at all. Now he wandered around her room, lifting things, examining them, then putting them back down. In the moonlight that poured through her window he sometimes seemed to fade to nothing, and then for an instant she would see a flash of long fangs near her face, or his luminous eyes would appear directly above her. In those moments, she felt sure that he was as real as she was. As he worked his way from the mirrored table, to the bank of windows overlooking the garden, to the TV he regarded with some interest, she found she couldn't bear to look at him any longer. To see such a thing she must be insane. Hours later. Mary woke with a start. Her bedroom was empty and dawn was colouring the horizon. The rising sun felt like a giant golden eye staring through her window, an invasive presence that wanted to see absolutely everything. She pressed her hands against her face to stop the light from sliding into her mind. She could hear the clockwork mechanism inside the sun, the one hinted at in her cards. It was ticking off the minutes and counting down the hours that she had left on Earth. The sun was a clock. She must remember that. She thought. She must be sure to write it down. She stumbled out of bed and into the shower. It took her nearly twenty minutes to realize she had a splitting headache, and another ten to figure out that she had medicine that might get rid of it in the bathroom cupboard. When she finally made her way downstairs, her head hurt a little less, but the pills she had taken made her both nauseous and sleepy. For lack of better occupation, she brewed a weak tea and recorded her dream, even the devil, in her book. It took more than a dozen pages to write down all she remembered. She decided to try and work. Sometimes she could lose herself in clay. As she padded across the grass to her workshop, she felt like she'd never seen the world before. Everything was too bright, too clear. She could hear the grass sigh as she stepped on it, the trees whispering, the flowers spreading themselves wide for the bees. Even the air she drew into her lungs was shimmering and alive. Once in the barn she sat at her workbench. Today she would make masks, not pots, because the spinning wheel would literally drive her mad. Her hand sank into the clay. The earth welcomed her touch like a lonely lover. Her fingers moved without her instruction and her thoughts ebbed away. Over time she noticed that she could hear someone singing as she worked. She became aware that someone was moving around her workshop, examining the faces that lived on her walls. Was it an old friend, or a new one? She couldn't decide. And she couldn't look up. Masks were taking shape beneath her hands, and from time to time she held them up for her guest to admire. Sometimes he would tell her to adjust an eye, or widen a lip. She always understood what he meant, and he was always right about the change. Each of her masks captured a soul in some extreme emotion, ranging from rage to joy, from sorrow to surrender. Time evaporated, thought left her. She was entirely empty and yet completely filled. She saw nothing heard nothing, felt only clay. It was only as darkness fell that she emerged from the pool of silence she had stepped into. As the sun died she saw an ocean of upturned faces scattered around her on every available surface, their features as human as her own in the golden blue light. Was she standing in a graveyard, or a nursery? Was she among the living, or the dead? She stumbled out of the barn, legs numb from lack of movement, arms exhausted from their ceaseless work. The moon was dying. A slender crescent was all that remained. In a few days it would be a new moon. Dark of the moon, Stuart had called it. She would be glad when the moon was gone because its silver beams beat against her skin, slid into her flesh, then seeped into her bones like cold fire. The ivory box was in the front pocket of her shirt and each time it brushed against her breast it burned her. Was it supposed to do that? Maybe her friends were angry at being confined for so long. As Mary entered the house, she made her mind empty again, seeking the darkness that had taken her all day. Restful, moving, empty darkness. She was a vessel, an opening, a passage. She was a receiver, she thought, wide open, and yearning to be filled. She had to let everything enter and pass through her lest she be beaten to death. She found herself sitting on her couch, the tarot box open, the cards in her hands. Though there were no lights on. The image on each card was clearly visible. The cards were now talking to one another. She could hear them chatter, and they said the strangest things. She let them talk since that's what they wanted. All except the devil card. She placed him face down on the table. He wanted to talk to her but she did not want to listen. He wanted to draw her into him, pull her down into his world, and she didn't want to leave this one. In time she heard a sound, a silver, pulsing. Ringing sound. But she certainly could not leave her cards to answer it. It would be like leaving children alone. Who knew what they might get up to? They say she hasn't eaten for over 24 hours, said Ahmed to Stuart on the phone. She spent the day working, came inside, and she's been immobile in her sitting room. I tried to call her but she didn't answer. We should drop by, said Stuart, turning off the television in his spacious, well appointed, thoroughly modern, flat. Swing by and pick me up on your way. She already spends too much time on her own, said Ahmed. Under normal circumstances she would be cloistered by now. She would be preparing for her role. Abducting the girl is hardly likely to incline her favorably toward us, said Stuart. And others are preparing her for her role. I have already indicated I have this matter well in hand. Wouldn't she be safer at the Abbey? Ahmed asked. What if she should take it into her head to hurt herself? Are you calling me from your car? asked Stuart comfortably. Because I'm expecting you to arrive in the next fifteen minutes. Chapter 6 What's wrong with her? Ahmed was kneeling over Mary. His pounding on the front door, the shifting of an open window, and his booming voice had all contrived to pull her out of her stupor. She was surprised to find herself lying on the floor, and she could not account for why the world seemed to be filled with blinding light. Why was her table lamp burning a hole in her mind? Too loud, she said over the roar of voices in her head. Too bright. Stuart was looking at the cards that had fallen all around her. One by one he began collecting them, brutally sweeping them up instead of lifting them carefully one by one. Mary heard each and every one cry out at the insult. She looks suspiciously like someone on the verge of a coma, said Ahmed. Mary noted that his words hurt a little less now. They were less like cannon fire and more like thunder. I told you Madame Bouchard's tarot cards liked her, said Stuart. Apparently they like her rather too much. What can you expect from an 18th century deck that's been trapped in a vault for a hundred years? Why wouldn't they ravage a virgin? Ahmed lifted Mary and moved her to the couch. I am not a virgin, she managed to say in a weak voice. It was odd how awkward words felt in her mouth. They were a strange way to talk. They wouldn't have killed her, said Stuart to Ahmed as if he hadn't heard her. Another century in the dark would hardly suit them. Having shuffled the cards several dozen times he dumped them in their ivory casket and sealed it with a snap. Suddenly Mary's world was quiet, the light was dim, and the pain in her head was gone. Mary brought her hands to her face, rubbed her eyes, and tried to sit up straight. How embarrassing to be found on the floor in clothes she had worn for two days. Hungry. Thirsty? Ahmed asked as he helped her sit fully upright. Mary struggled to remember what those words meant. Eating and drinking sounded like a very strange way to spend time. Stuart sat down in the armchair beside her. How do you feel? Better? She could sense she amused him, as if she were a kitten who had tangled herself in yards of yarn. She nodded. It took time to find words. You said no one else should touch my cards. I was wrong he said with a shrug. You should limit how much you handle them until I show you how to control their influence a bit. They seem to have rather taken advantage of you. Ahmed returned from the kitchen with tea and a chicken sandwich. Suddenly Mary realized she was ravenous. Without preambles she ate and drank everything he gave her, then asked for more. In about an hour, after the food was gone, she felt almost herself. Had she really passed two days in this odd way? Had she hallucinated for 48 hours? Maybe she really was mentally ill. Stuart stood up. David is about to call, he said. He tried to reach you earlier. He's frightened because you haven't answered the phone. Be sure to leave your cards alone until I come back. It will teach them a lesson. Before Stuart and Ahmed were out the door, the phone did indeed ring. Mary picked it up and pressed it to her ear. Honey, are you okay? I was worried. David sounded scared. That was gratifying. I'm fine, she said. I have had a headache. I'm so glad to hear your voice. I very much miss you. I'm glad, she said. I missed you too. It's going great here. They've decided I should start the larger contract immediately. They've given me an overview of their existing systems and I'll be coordinating plans with their engineers tomorrow. I just can't believe how perfect this job is. I think I'm the only one in the world who has all the skills they need. I'm so happy, said Mary. She found herself remembering the last time they'd made love, just before he left. He'd seemed so solid, so predictable. How she missed him. I can't wait to have you home, she said. That's why I called, David said in a more subdued tone. They want me to start right away so I won't be back for another month. Mary said nothing honey, are you there? Of course, that's wonderful news, she said. I know you'll come back as soon as you can. Leaning her head against the cool metal of the refrigerator door, she swallowed her disappointment. One additional month would stretch to two. She could feel more months stacking up beyond that. Who needed cards to tell the future when it was as clear as day? I love you very much, she said. I love you too, honey. And I miss you. What have you been doing? He sounded really curious for a change. Masks, said Mary, her mind suddenly turning to the missing hours of the past two days. She had worked on masks, hadn't she? What else had she done? Should she tell him about Stuart, about the club she had joined? Before she could decide, her line became erratic, full of static and noise. Honey, I can barely hear you, said David, shouting over the line. Do you want me to call you back? No, shouted Mary, just call me on Sunday so we can talk. I will, David's voice echoed. I love you. He dropped off with a loud click. Recording and story copyright 2020 by Nancy Fulton. All rights reserved. Music created by D. Kurtzman and licensed from Pond5. Find more great stories at audioion.com.